Welcome to the Leaders in LiDAR podcast series hosted by Umbilical Technology. In this series, I interview senior members of the world's leading LiDAR manufacturers to give you an insight into a misunderstood sensor technology that I and the guests of this series are confident will be ubiquitous in the coming years and providing benefits to society for a wide number of exciting use cases. So welcome to another episode of the Leaders in LiDAR podcast. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Angus Bacala. Angus is the CEO and co-founder of the San Francisco-based LiDAR company, Auster. Auster were founded in 2015 with the aim of making LiDAR affordable and ubiquitous, and since then have been on a very exciting journey. Over the last five years, or five or six years, they've opened offices in Europe and Asia, have scaled to over 100 staff, as well as more recently, in March of this year, have gone public by way of a SPAC merger. Um, so Angus, it's a pleasure having you. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Angus, we'll, we'll get into kind of Auster and that journey in a little bit more detail shortly, of course. Um, but kind of just for the listeners' understanding, kind of how have you got to kind of where you are now um, as the CEO and co-founder of Auster? What's your career looked like so far? Sure. Well, you know, I came out to the Bay Area for school. I went to Stanford and I'm an engineer by training. I yeah. got degrees in mechanical engineering and robotics um, back at Stanford and actually met my co-founder, Mark Frichtel, at Stanford yeah. um, at that time. And I even then was interested in autonomous vehicle technology. I actually watched the, there's the DARPA Grand Challenge was a you know a big deal back in 20, 2006. And I was yeah. very aware of it at the time and you know, wanted to come to Stanford partially because of that that whole challenge, and Stanford did very well in that with Sebastian oh, Thrun's team. Um, and you know, and so basically kept track of what was going on on in autonomous vehicles in the late two um, thousands. And when I came out of Stanford, it was still, you know, Silicon Valley is a place where there is a lot of opportunity to start companies, even as a relatively inexperienced or uh, you know someone early in their career and. In 2012, I had been looking at LiDAR technology for for kind of the last many years and okay. realized I wanted to do something in it um, and co-founded a, another company in the space called Quantergy Systems. Yep. Um, and uh, it sounds like you had uh, someone from Quantergy on, on the call, Tanya. For sure, um, yeah. Yeah, who's my co-founder at the time. Um, yep. And, you know, that was really the first foray into this entire industry. Um, and Mark Frichtel was the second employee at Quantergy. Okay. So um, he and I have been working in LiDAR for a very, very long time, it turns yeah. out. And uh, this is a, the second, Auster is the second company that I've co-founded in the space. And, uh, and, and I think one of the things that I love about LiDAR is, you know, on the one hand, the applications are so mm-hmm. benef- you know, good and beneficial to society. It's about safety technology, quality of life improvements, efficiency improvements but then the technical challenges are really interesting and diverse and that's one of the things that you're seeing in the market today is you know there are many different companies all pursuing different approaches to lidar it's amazing how many ways you can build a lidar sensor and (laughs) and that systems problem you know lidar is really a systems problem it pulls from many different avenues of fields of study in order to make a, a working device and and that means that you can put together many different styles of LiDAR to achieve the ultimate goal. So that's just interesting to me um, as an engineer and, and one of the reasons I love LiDAR. 
definitely. I think we've seen that more recently, kind of, and especially doing this podcast, I've seen companies all trying to achieve the same goal, as you've said, um, especially within obviously kind of the holy grail of, of the automotive domain. Um, but they're going about it in so many different ways, whether that be flash LIDAR, MEMS LIDAR, digital solid state, that there's so many kind of different, different avenues of development and kind of each company is claiming that they're, they're able to achieve kind of great things with that. But yeah, it's, it's very interesting in the space at the moment, as you said, very innovative. So one thing kind of I've seen with yourself, Angus, is that obviously with the first company with Quanergy and now with Alster, you never wanted to focus purely on kind of achieving just an automotive grade LIDAR. You've always looked at kind of the, the big picture and different use cases. So why is that? Why do you think it's better to kind of be broader or rather than being more prescribed with the LIDAR kind of technology? You know, and I think especially with, with Auster, in 2015, the founding premise that Mark and I had, our thesis was um, we, we wanted to be a diversified LIDAR company from the very beginning and play across markets. We believe LIDAR is a fundamental sensing technology and kind of the final frontier in sensing technologies that hadn't been commercialized yet. Yeah. Um, radar, cameras, inertial <laughs> measurement units, all have been commercialized. Yeah. They're, you know, they're in the hands of billions of people, millions or billions of people at this point. LIDAR at 2015 and even still today is not in the hands of millions or billions of people. Um, and, it's, and, and there's nothing beyond LIDAR. There's no other sensing technology. Yeah. Um, right. Like uh, there's, 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 I don't know, there's not, there's, yeah, there's, it's really the, the last sensing technology that's critical for autonomy that mm. needs to be brought into the modern age. And it's critical for autonomy generally, not just for cars, but for the entire world's march towards increased safety and efficiency in machinery that you know, moves on its own whether it's a mine, a mining machine or a construction piece of construction equipment, a manufacturing robot, a smart traffic light, um, or an autonomous car. You know, mm-hmm. All of those systems could benefit from incredibly uh, reliable uh, and, and, and precise LiDAR sensors. And so you know, we, that, that's just a broader opportunity. It's an interesting opportunity to go out and try to solve. And automotive is a subset of that opportunity and so when we when we founded Aster, we we just looked at other sensing technologies like cameras, and um, it's very clear that with the right approach, you can build a technology that spans all these use cases, spans the in- industries. And it's not that there's one product that can span all the industries, but it's that there's one technology and architecture that can span industries. And uh, digital cameras are a great example of this. A digital camera today is a, a silicon chip and a lens, which yep. is a very simple architecture. And that works for the rovers on Mars and it works for your cell phone cameras yep. and it works for every camera in a, in a car, right? It's the same digital camera technology. There's no yep. difference. Um, and that our goal is to do the same thing with digital LIDAR technology in, in for all these applications, one architecture and um, different products, but single architecture that applies across all these applications and hopefully at some point you know we'll get digital ladder sensors on mars but that may take a while <laughs> yeah maybe maybe a little while um but yeah let's talk through that because obviously 
that's one of the thing that one of the things that sets Alster apart from kind of some of the other companies that have been on this podcast is the fact that it's all based on on this digital um, architecture, which my understanding it's a kind of a silicon CMOS architecture. Is that correct? Yeah, you can think of it, it exactly. So it's the it's based on silicon CMOS technology, and it's very important. There are different types of silicon technologies, but there's only one. CMOS is complementary metal oxide semiconductor. Yeah. You don't need to need, you know, know anything about that. All you need to understand <laughs> is that all the chips in your cell phone are yep. built on silicon CMOS, not some other silicon process. So CMOS is the, the technology that Moore's law has been driving forward for the last 60 years. It's what gets exponentially better year after year after year and gives you faster and faster computers and smartphones and better cameras. And, and so that's exactly right. Digital LiDAR is all about putting as much of a LiDAR's complexity onto a single custom silicon CMOS chip as possible. And that's what we've done. You know, that that's what we've kind of founded the company around is being the first company to actually do that effectively. And why is other companies are kind of using MEMS-based approaches and kind of flash-based approaches? What is the kind of in a basic way um, so that all the kind of listeners can gather and gain an understanding of this, what is the benefit of doing all of the complex stuff on this sil- on this silicon CMOS chip? The, the benefit, so it creates a simple, flexible architecture. If you, if you can pull complexity out of the system, you know, a, a traditional analog LiDAR sensor with MEM, you know, MEM scanning systems or what have you has hundreds or thousands of discrete off-the-shelf electronic components. And just like a, an analog camera in 2000, a film camera had probably a lot, of, in, in many cases had digital electronics in it, but they were off the shelf digital electronics plus the film system. And it was a very complex electromechanical device in the year yeah. 2000. And digital cameras pulled all that complexity into the silicon and made a, a digital camera two pieces, a lens and a, and a chip. And so we're doing the same thing pulling complex electromechanical assemblies and, and discrete off-the-shelf electronics and putting all of that complexity onto the silicon. And silicon is great at absorbing complexity. The, yeah. the adding more transistors to a chip is effectively free, right? And, and so you want to put that complexity on the chip and that results in a cost savings. And then it also gives you a very clear roadmap uh, for performance improvement through the future because your LiDAR is now on a chip and the chips are improving exponentially with Moore's law. And so just build new chips year after year after year, just like Intel has done or other companies have done and your LiDAR gets better year after year after year. Mm-hmm. And so it's pretty simple at that level, why companies do that, do this. And, um, and it's been a successful approach in Silicon Valley for the last 60 years. It's <laughs> literally why Silicon Valley is called Silicon Valley is because it's good at putting complexity onto chips and revolutionizing in industries as a result of that. And yeah, and I think I seen a report, I think it was yesterday actually, uh, that TSMC, obviously the world's biggest uh, kind of semiconductor foundry, I think they've got down to one nanometer now um, and kind of made a breakthrough there. So we're continuing to see improvements even now. Obviously, I think at the moment, kind of mass production of silicon chips is kind of seven nanometers, isn't it? But we're now seeing four, three, Kind of closer to zero than anything else. That's right. And there's, you know, there's debate that Moore's law is, is there is a physical limit to Moore's yeah. law and we're getting to it. It's pretty impressive 
how far the semiconductor companies have been able to get. But today, Ouster is running our, our, our sensors at a 40 nanometer node, okay. which is, um, and that just gives you a sense for how we're still have great, we still have great visibility on marching down these semiconductor nodes, yep. going from 40 to you know, just all the way down to eventually one nanometer if yep. they get there. Um, five nanometer, I think, is the smallest node that's, that's in operation today. And, um, and that's a great roadmap. It's a simple roadmap. Make the chips, yeah. add more complexity to the chips, and you get that kind of for free. Um, I mean, it's a lot of, and it's an immense amount of engineering that goes into building the chip. Oh, but cool. then, but then uh, your product gets better exponentially year after year after year. And then not to go kind of too heavy on the, on the semiconductor side of things, but one of the main benefits of, putting the LiDAR onto a, a silicon chip is that mass producing silicon chips is very easy. It's something that's been done for kind of countless, countless years now. So kind of going to a, a semiconductor foundry and kind of getting that done is, is relatively easy. So easy. So imagine the cost saving there is quite, quite enormous in comparison to a, a MEMS or a kind of a mechanical device, right? Yeah, well, I think that a bunch of semiconductor engineers probably just had heart attacks hearing that that <laughs> fabricating chips is easy. Yeah, but 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 actually, it's true. The foundries—it's so amazing how far we've come. Where contract contract foundries like TSMC have made it easy for customers to make chips. Yeah. I mean, the, the actual fabrication process is a seamless process. It's it's really fantastic, mm-hmm. and there's immense amounts of investment into chip architecture and chip design. And that isn't cheap. You know, Ouster has spent over a hundred million dollars getting to this point and, wow. and almost six years. Yeah. And a, a large fraction of that has been in chip and chip design and investment, but, but the costs are consolidated. So yeah. all of that investment is going to chip design and there's much less investment in having to develop custom other chips and, or, 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 or developing the larger system because the system has become so simple at an architectural level. You know, a digital LIDAR is a laser chip, a CMOS receiver chip, and two lenses, effectively. And so, yes, we're spending much more on developing those chips, but there are only really two of them, the laser and the receiver in the system. And so overall, I think it's more effective. And definitely, if, if, you, if you measure it over the course of years, the exponential progress that you make is, is absolutely makes up for the investment that you put in on the chips. There's really no other technology in the entire world that improves exponentially through time like semiconductors do. Of course. And obviously it makes sense when when the system is, as you said, kind of the chip, the chip or the two chips, and then the lenses, obviously it makes sense to put all of the money and the, the development cost and the research and development costs into improving that chip, which will obviously improve performance, whereas improving the lens isn't going to make a massive difference. That's where the area of focus is on when it comes to innovation. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's only so much you can measure how good your lens is. And, uh, you know, lenses are fantastic technology today. And you can just measure where 95% of the theoretical performance of a glass lens or a plastic lens. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, it makes very little sense to eke out that extra 5% that still remains. It may not even be physically possible to do so. Whereas might be able to make a 100% improvement in the performance of a LiDAR through just um, investing in the next chip iteration, or maybe even more than that, maybe a 200 or 300% improvement in, in the, the fundamental capabilities of the device through chip 
uh, new chip development. So it really is a fantastic, you know, that just puts it in perspective. You might get a couple percentage uh, points of improvement from a lens, but you get hundreds of percent um, improvement from a semiconductor uh, process switch. Sure. And obviously your Alster's product line is all kind of the same digital architecture, then just paired with different lenses, isn't it? For kind of different applications, different field of views, et cetera. Yeah. And so, you know, stepping back to our, our thesis was at the, at the founding of Auster was we wanted to be a diversified company. And we believe that the way to do that was through a flexible digital architecture. And, you know, our, our insight is that you can win an industry or, or supply multiple industries and use cases using a single technology and a single architecture, two chips and two lenses, but you need a diversity of products. There's no getting around the fact that different customers need different capabilities from their sensors. And you see that with camera cameras today. I mean, cameras, there's a diversity of products on the market that span resolutions and fields of view. And, um, uh, you know, it, it's very similar in that you compare an image sensor with a lens and get fundamentally different performance from a digital camera. And yeah. so we're following that exact same approach. You know, we have over 75 different SKUs that we offer into the market and they vary by resolution, by field of view and, um, and, and by price, you know, as, as a key component. And that allows our customers to pick and choose what sensors make the most sense for their application instead of us trying to place a bet on building <laughs> one sensor and trying to make that work for every use case. It's just not possible. Makes perfect sense. And it, again, obviously one of the main issues in the past, at least with LiDAR technology, is the cost of a device. Obviously, kind of imagine when you were first starting out in Quantigy, you were probably looking at kind of I don't know, tens of thousands for a, a LiDAR sensor, especially an automotive grade one. Whereas kind of having this one architecture obviously has great cost reduction kind of incentives, doesn't it? Yeah, that's certainly a benefit. So by having a single architecture, we actually have gone further. It's not just a single architecture, but it's a single chipset yeah. um, that we use in all our products. Uh, and, and that's the point you're getting at. So we have shared silicon in all of our products. So right. when we upgrade the silicon, it upgrades every product that we have. There's shared component trees. So our supply chain or economies of scale are improved because there's just so much shared um, bond between all of our products. So that's absolutely, absolutely a benefit um, that, that, that we have. And we've just been, you know, I think just thoughtful in how we design our product line in order to take advantage of as much economies of scale as possible. Um, you know, it's interesting seeing how Apple has been rolling out the M1 processor, yeah. their new silicon is a really good example of how semiconductor companies take advantage of their silicon in multiple places. They're doing something kind of, you know, almost similar to what Auster is doing, where there's a single M1 piece of silicon and they've put it into the Mac mini and the Mac pro, a, a variety of the iMac and one of the iPads, same silicon, and they can tune it up and down through firmware mm -hmm. and change its characteristics. And, um, but, but, and then I, I'm sure that they'll release an M2 and an M3 okay. and all of their products simultaneously will get better every year from that chipset, uh, that chip cycle that they're doing. And so it's very similar with Auster rolling out new chips, our L1, L2, L3 processors, um, and upgrading all of our, our products simultaneously when that happens. Interesting. Yeah. I was actually, I'm actually looking into getting a MacBook at the moment, actually. And, um, 
I was reading the reviews on the um, the M1 uh, Mac Air, I think it was, and kind of the there was talk of how fast the M1 is in comparison to the the old MacBook uh, Air, which I think was a an Intel processor, and it's it's staggering. And like you said, I think when the M2 comes out, because of Moore's law, the the performance enhancements each year are just going to continue to get better, especially when Apple are developing it specifically for their own devices as well, and similar yeah, to how Alster are. That's exactly right. I mean, one of the Alster is taking advantage of this this custom semiconductor engineering is something that hasn't. If if we tried to start Alster twenty years ago, there wouldn't be the technology and the the, uh, the really the ecosystem that allows a smaller company, a startup to develop advanced semiconductors like we've done. Um, and it really is that the promise of custom ASICs, um, at, well, it's been much more democratized in the last 20 years with companies like TSMC and um, doing contract fab work that's seamless and there are great design tools now. And so it really has opened up companies like Ouster to tackle these very challenging custom semiconductor designs um, with relatively modest uh, uh, capital. Um, And uh, yeah, so, so, and the the promise is exactly, you know, the M1 transition is a great example of what custom silicon can do in any application. So let's discuss kind of the product line in more detail, uh, Angus, there at at Alster. Um, Obviously you've got the new ES2, which is kind of marketed as a digital solid state LiDAR. What kind of, is there a key, was that developed with a key application in mind or and what differs that to the OS line that's obviously been there previously? So the big difference is they share the same optical module or optical architectures. So this yeah. two chip and two lens LiDAR module is in our OS sensors and in our ES sensors. Okay. But our OS sensors have a, have a, a scanning system. So an electric motor that okay. spins spins that optics module and in the es sensors we've removed the electric motor right and so it's got the os sensors have one moving part the sensors have no moving parts (laughs) and the trade-off is cost and size right an os sensor has more components so it costs somewhat more and it's somewhat larger um but the sensors then have the drawback of having a, a narrow narrower field of view right an os sensor that spins has 360 degree fields of view and I think something that maybe outsiders, people outside the ladder industry don't understand is that there's a huge market pull for 360 degree spinning LiDAR sensors. Yep. And the reason we built those sensors was because that's where so many customers uh, wanted product. And, but it also, there's this emerging market for narrower field of view, smaller form factor, even lower cost, truly solid state sensors. Um, and it's really a different customer set, namely an, an automotive one um, that's very price and aesthetic conscious. And so that's initially where the ES, the, the solid state sensor lineup is, is targeted, mm-hmm. is um, you know, seamlessly deploying many small form factor, very affordable solid state sensors all around a car yeah. um, in a way that you can't even notice maybe that the lighter sensors are installed on the car. Just like it's hard to notice that there are eight or more digital cameras deployed around modern cars for their L2 systems today. Yeah. We want that same kind of seamless um, uh, integration in, in the ladder. And, and you get that again with solid state sensors, not with the spinning sensors. 
um, but there's great markets for both. And so Alster is committed. Again, our goal is to provide many products to the market and allow our customers to choose what they, what they think is suitable for the application. So we'll be continuing to supply OS sensors and ES sensors for the uh, indefinite kind of foreseeable future. I felt that that would have been kind of the, the reason for the ES2 line. Um, obviously, when it comes to kind of consumer vehicles and kind of going into probably 2024 onwards, LiDAR will be on most vehicles to allow for kind of level three, level four uh, autonomous driving. And no one wants a LiDAR sticking out the side of the car, kind of doing 360 um, views. So it makes sense to have a, a smaller solid state model like an ES2 that numerous of them can be integrated into the vehicle quite seamlessly, as you've said. Um, so you still have that the safety in the vehicle, but you still have kind of the form factor and the aesthetics there, um, not having it kind of poking out or on top of the vehicle like you've seen on kind of the DARPA vehicles in the past, right? That's right. And um, and again, maybe maybe some customers will want the, the lighter sensors visible on the vehicle because it will be an indication that those cars are safer than cars that don't have lighter. I don't, you know, I um I leave that decision to the customer. Yeah. I actually do think there will be some consumer cars that feature the the lighter prominently enough that okay. it will almost signal you'll you'll know that 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 car has a lighter sensor, and that will be um, a good thing, a, a positive thing for some customers purchasing yeah. their cars. And then there will be others where it's just a completely seamless integration. So it depends on, yeah, very, very much depends on the customer. But one of the things that I, I think is really important about the, you know, any application and consumer is that it is um, a multi-sensor deployment so that these sensors can see all the way around the vehicle. And I think there's been a lot of focus on forward facing LiDAR sensors sure. in automotive um, and not really thinking about the fact that most applications require coverage all the way around the vehicle. Mm-hmm. And if you want your car to change lanes and with, without uh, driver intera- uh, interaction, so an L3 system, yeah. um, it, it's really need to have uh, a lot of sensors that can see to the left or see to the right so that yeah. when you're maneuvering that direction, there's actually sensor coverage there. Or when you're merging onto the highway, you need to look behind the car to make sure there's not fast, fast yeah. traffic coming from behind. Right? And so it's really important. I think the ES sensor line is positioned to provide all those sensors around the vehicle. The size, the form factor, the cost is positioned to be low enough and small enough that you can actually put sensors all around the vehicle, not just one sensor, but five or more sensors um, in the same way that there's coverage all the way around the vehicle with cameras. So I think that's a really important aspect is Sure, there probably will be some applications where it's just forward-looking LiDAR. Yeah. Um, but I think what's compelling to me is getting in a car that has 360-degree coverage and can do everything that an L2 system can do, but can do it hands and eyes free. Definitely. And obviously, we've seen that already with the the other technology that's kind of involved, in, well, the other sensor technology that's involved in kind of allowing for some level of autonomous driving. Obviously, you have, you have side-facing radars, side-facing cameras as well so it makes sense that lidar follows that same that same process to allow for kind of full 360 degree view yeah, redundant coverage um, yeah definitely and i i was reading on your earnings presentation actually that you believe that you can do that with the es2 um kind of with five lidars dependent on the vehicle of course yeah but 
basically five LIDARs and a thousand dollar price point for that complete package. I think that's, that's the other thing is, um, you know, I tell our teams internally that it, it building this technology doesn't, doesn't really have any impact unless we can get it, make it affordable <laughs> enough that it's in the hands of millions of people, right? It's only through mass commercialization and adoption, which really is driven as much by economics as it is by the, the performance of the, of the product. And so the economics totally matter. And we think that a thousand dollar price point for five sensors is about what, you know, a, a, a large fraction of early adopters can afford for just the LiDAR hardware. There's, you know, there's more cost for ADAS systems than just LiDAR hardware. So um, that's a pretty low price point for such an advanced technology. But I think that's just another benefit of the digital technology is you can get to quite low price points up front. Um, you know, early in this technology cycle, because it's all based on such a mature semiconductor fabrication process. That was one thing I wanted to discuss: the price point there of kind of circa a thousand dollars for the um, the five lidar sensors. Because, kind of from my research, I understand that OEMs are looking to realistically pay around two hundred, two fifty for a lidar sensor at the moment. So, you're achieving that. And you're allowing them to kind of, as you said, the mass commercialization and adoption of LIDAR because there was LIDARs in the past kind of six, seven, eight years ago now that were on vehicles, but they were costing kind of $70,000, kind of the old Velodyne system, et cetera. So that was purely for kind of DARPA projects. But what's been the most exciting thing about LIDAR is kind of the innovation and the driving down of the price point to a time now today where it's reaching the stage where it can be integrated into vehicles that you and I could go and purchase in a year or two. Yeah, we're still we're still a couple of years away from actually being able to purchase a, a car with you know five or more LIDAR sensors on it, but it is coming. And you're right, in, historically in automotive, there have been a couple LIDAR sensors that have been commercialized en masse they've been pretty constrained in what the, their role was in an ADAS system, but they cost around 200 to $250. Yeah. And, um, and that, that, that's you know, one of the indications that that five LIDAR sensors for a thousand dollars is around the, you know, that's the right enabling price point. Um, but, but there is a need, you know, even today th- th- there's, there's varying needs for uh, cost or for, for price points uh, yeah. by industry. And that's one of the things that is core to, to Ouster's approach was we knew that by operating across use cases, um, as we're marching down the, the price curve, that we would have products that were at a, at a price point that was completely enabling for, um, for other industries much sooner than for automotive. You know, automotive is the most price conscious, price competitive <laughs> application. Because because people, you and I, consumers are the ones buying those vehicles. Yeah. And it, of all of the industries we operate in, it's the only one where a consumer is the end customer. Um, yeah. You know, in industrials, it's one big industrial company selling machinery to another big industrial company that's operating that machinery for a long period of time and understands the kind of amortization and ROI of purchasing, you know, advanced equipment. And so it's a very different um, set of criteria that are going into, you know, a mining customer purchasing a, a huge, you know, a million dollar mining hauler. And, um, you know, and they, they might, you know, at a price point that might be enabling for them is a low thousand dollar price point for a LIDAR because they care much more about its lifetime and its yeah. organization and performance and the inclement weather. 
And, um, and so it's been, that's enabled Alster to uh, bring products to market much sooner than just waiting for the ultimate rollout of, yeah. of cars and mass, you know, putting, mm. putting lighter sensors in Honda Civics across the world. Of course. And obviously one of the things, obviously you've touched on the price point there, but it's a lot easier, I imagine, to put LIDARs into other applications like smart cities, like kind of industrialization than it is to create a LIDAR, not only at the price point, but can, that will also pass the rigorous tests that are there in the automotive industry. Kind of when you're they're throwing bags of sand at the LIDAR and stuff like that to ensure the vision. So I imagine there's areas where you can develop a lot faster and a lot easier outside of automotive than just focusing on an automotive product. You know, I, yes or no, actually, because um, people always think about automotive being this most stringent quality and reliability and recognition um, applic- uh, application that requires the, the most stringent um, versions of all those things. But, you know, a, a smart city application, if, uh, the, the expectation may be that a system is operating continuously 24-7, rain or shine for 10 years straight. Okay, you yeah. know, that's, and, and that is way more stringent than a consumer vehicle might have a 4% duty cycle and have a, a five-year, a, a great warranty in automotive is a five-year warranty mm. um, with 4% duty cycle versus a, a 100% duty cycle, 10-year application in smart infrastructure. Yeah. And yes, there's not the same kind of shock and vibration environment um, as, as a moving vehicle, but designing something for that long of a lifetime is its own challenge. The yeah. thermal cycling of a product over ten years is is a is a is a, is a huge challenge. In mining, you know, mining actually has more stringent requirements around shock and vibration oh, than the automotive applications because you know, larger the larger the vehicle, generally the higher the the vibration environment and the, and the mm-hmm. shock uh, loads. And and mining also, uh, we've seen customers that have more stringent temperature requirements. You know, operating in Siberian mines. Oh, wow. um, and uh, where it gets to negative 40, even negative 50 centigrade below, below zero. So um, it, it's not, yeah, it's, it's not actually necessarily that even the, the performances or, or that it's easier to build sensors that work in those other applications, but the price points yeah. are higher outside of automotive. That's, that's a given. And price is something that is, has some inertia to it. You know, it, it takes volume to achieve the low, the lower price points of automotive. And uh, that's one of the main reasons why it's still a couple of years out is just reaching volumes um, that uh, enable those ultra low price points. Interesting. Yeah, I'll be honest, I've not thought about kind of the, the life cycle and kind of the, the on time of smart city applications. But yeah, of course, they have to be on kind of 24 hours scanning, kind of people counting, et cetera whatever the application is. So yeah, I suppose that there are different challenges for each of the domain, each domain, which is still hard to overcome regardless of kind of the price points, et cetera. So let's get on to different use cases, but just kind of one question because we've spoken so much about Moore's law and how kind of the chips will continue to improve each year. So just for, for the automotive grade LIDARs, I mean, where do you see the price point being for kind of the Alster, let's say the Alster five sensors. So it's at a thousand dollars at the moment. Where do you see it being in kind of 2025, 2030? And how low can it go? Um, you know, I think that the, 
long term, the, the price points for single digital LIDARs that have the performance needed um, in automotive will go to sub $100 price points. Okay. Very long term. I, I don't know when exactly that <laughs> is, but you know, the challenge is not, um, you can make digital LIDAR arbitrarily low cost. Um, but but you start sacrificing performance at the low end of the range, of course, um, yeah. and so there's you kind of have to wait to march down the, the semiconductor nodes sufficiently enough that when you do reduce cost, you're not sacrificing performance below the threshold that is required for the application, yeah. and so that will take that will take the better part of ten years to get to sub hundred dollar um, digital ladder sensors that meet all of the automotive performance requirements. Mm. Um, but, but it will happen. I think that digital ladder is unique or digital technologies in general are just unique in that they actually can, there's credibility in getting to those ultra low price points, cameras, automotive radar, all started off as, you know, high hundred dollar, uh, price point sensors in automotive, like 15, 20 years ago. And now an automotive radar, you can buy one for 30, 40, $50, um, yeah. something that, that has the same performance or better performance than a technology, the same, this, well, a similar technology 15 years ago where it might've cost a thousand dollars. So, and that's semiconductors that, and, and semiconductor integration that has allowed that cost to come down in combination with expansion and volume. So it's totally possible. I see a clearer route with digital LiDAR than any other LiDAR technology to reach those ultra low price points. Umbilical Technology. We help leaders of organizations at the forefront of innovation secure talent ahead of their competition. I'll be honest, when I started this podcast, it was very much focused on LIDARs for automotive applications, so for autonomous driving. But over the course of recording this series, I've learned so much about the different use cases for um, for LIDAR technology. And some of those are kind of, they excite me more almost than automotive at this point. So Auster aren't just a company that are focused on automotive LIDAR, as you've said. You you see them going into different target markets. So let's discuss some of those more. I mean, what are kind of some of your most interesting areas, Angus, in terms of where your Auster LIDARs are being utilized by some of your customers? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's there are so many interesting applications. You know, we're we're playing across four key verticals: it's automotive, industrial, smart infrastructure, and robotics. And you can trace the supply chain of the world from the mine or the farm to the manufacturing facility, to the shipping and receiving center and the port and the, the last mile delivery to the customer doorstep. And every step along that supply chain, there are machines that are being automated or being made more efficient with LiDAR sensors and actually with Alster LiDAR sensors at this point. We have over 500 customers spanning all of those use cases in 50 different countries. And it's really a, just a f- fantastic kind of global effort to create more efficient and, more, and, and safer um, industrial uh, equipment or equipment that's automate, automating this entire supply chain of the world. Um, so we have, I mean, in, in mining, we have customers like Sonvik, who are building um, safer, remote-operated, and fully autonomous um, underground mining machines okay. that, yeah, that that are navigating you know completely pitch dark environments using Auster ladder sensors, mapping the mine while mm-hmm. simultaneously actually doing you know doing the mining, um, m- mining ore in, in this case, and, um, and and doing it more safely and more efficiently than having you know, people in a dangerous environment like that. 
an underground mine, mine um, is a is a very dangerous environment. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, and uh, and then we have customers like Cone Crane, who we, we've we previously announced with, where um, they're in the port yard and they're building collision avoidance systems for their gantry cranes. So yep. cranes that are moving containers around uh, a dockyard, and, uh, and and you can think about it like an ADAS system for a car, but it's for this multi-million-dollar piece of equipment, a moving a mobile gantry crane, and there are huge repercussions for worksite worksite safety and for for just uh, an accident that could cost a lot of money to to run you know for, for that kind of equipment to run into anything. Um, and Alster ladder sensors are making those systems more more safe and uh, and more efficient. Um, so there's a huge number of use cases like that in, in kind of dockyards and mining and logistics. We have a great example with Balio, a, a maker of uh, automated forklifts. Forklifts, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And you, know, you wouldn't. There's a huge market for forklifts in the world. Um, yeah. Hundreds of thousands of forklifts sold every year. Many of them are becoming more and more automated, or or already have some sort of collision avoidance system, and um, and now we're providing you know a much higher level of autonomous capability through these ultra wide field of view and high resolution digital ladder sensors that we're providing um, to Balio. So really cool applications. You know the common theme is we can make this, the the machines and the platforms more intelligent because they have better sensory inputs with higher resolution and better fields of view and more efficient as a result of that better efficiency uh, yep. intelligence, but also, and also safer, right? In in every application, the well, in, in the vast majority of applications, the LiDAR is playing a safety critical role, yep. um, really preventing workplace accidents and, and uh, from, from occurring in the first place. And which is a great goal. I mean, talk about LiDAR as being a safety improving technology in automotive, but it's really a safety improving technology across the vast majority of our applications. Even in smart infrastructure, where a LiDAR may be doing more of a monitoring, it's doing more monitoring than controlling a a vehicle or a robot. It's still targeted as a safety improving technology. Um, It might be because it's controlling traffic more efficiently and making sure the traffic flows are, are more effective to reduce accidents, you know, as an ultimate aim or signaling crosswalks more intelligently to improve pedestrian safety, you know, keeping a crosswalk green for a longer period of time to let someone cross um, or not changing the, the, not changing a light from red to green because there's someone still in a crosswalk. So even in smart infrastructure, it's still a safety improving technology, a quality of life improving technology. I think that's just fantastic that, you know, Aster is playing a part across all of those use cases simultaneously. Definitely. Yeah. And I think, some of those that you touched on are, are really interesting to me. When I when I first heard about them, it was just so kind of eye opening that the the lidar has this many use cases. And I think with the with the smart cities one, like you've mentioned, monitoring crosswalks and alternating the time based on traffic flow that the lights are on for, the lights are off for. Or if it's kind of outside of a school, it will be longer in the mornings and the evenings. Kids are coming out of school. It's just. It, it almost reminds me of, of the Sims, like Sim City, when you can control things like that. But that's where we're going. LIDARs used correctly and there's the software behind it to monitor the data. There will be great bounds forward in efficiency, both in our day-to-day life when shopping, when crossing the road, etc. But then also, as you have mentioned, in 
in things like mines and in ports where this automation will drive forward efficiency or lower costs. I think I've seen an article about LiDAR technology and port automation that the cost reductions there of using a LiDAR sensor are just huge. And obviously that's the same in mining, last mile delivery. Yeah, and it really does take the, at the end of the day, we're improving quality of life, we're improving safety, we're also saving customers money. That is, I mean, uh, that is the kind of the great driver is that there's so many different and good reasons that are incentivizing our customers in adopting technology like LiDAR. And we're just providing the right, for the first time ever, the right price point to actually make this an affordable technology to adopt given all of the obvious reasons why it's beneficial versus legacy legacy systems. But I think one of the things that might be a misconception here is it's not like we're going to snap our fingers and then there's going to be LiDAR sensors everywhere and you're going oh, to be cool. aware of it. Yeah. Even when the, at some point, LiDAR sensing is going to be completely ubiquitous. Um, and maybe that's five, 10 years from now or beyond the majority of traffic traffic lights and intersections in the world um, and, and, and the majority of industrial equipment, mm. but you probably won't even be aware that it's there. It will have receded into the background. Mm. And yes, the, your traffic, the traffic in your neighborhood will have improved. And you might notice that, but you might not really understand why. And yeah, you might hear about fewer and fewer industrial accidents and you might not understand why that's happening, but it's yeah. partially because there will be advanced sensors keeping people safer and making a more efficient, um, uh, better quality of life society. And that's work that our customers are doing and that we're helping our customers do with, with the sensors. And so, um, but, but, you know, I don't think that the world is going to look fantastically different. And I kind of like that. It's like, this is going to be uh, operating in the background and keeping us all safer, but yeah. not something that's in your face uh, that, that you'll even notice day to day. Definitely. And look, that's, that's what we're saying off air. That's kind of one of the reasons that I've done this podcast because LIDAR is such a misunderstood technology. And I think people don't understand just how many use cases there are and just how, how much it can improve our day to day life without us knowing. Like, as you've said, people probably won't even recognize a LIDAR sensor if it was on top of a traffic light. Um, whereas if you see a camera, I imagine you automatically know what that is, but that's part of the reason for this podcast to discuss how LIDAR can improve our life and how how many different applications it can go into. And I mean, there's applications that even now, kind of having done this podcast for such a long period of time, that even kind of astound me at this point. I know one of your customers is using it to improve and make the construction industry more efficient when it comes to drywall. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's there's so one of our customers, Canvas Robotics, is doing construction robotics. So actually trying to, uh, they're um, aiding in the actual kind of indoor uh, installation of drywall and other things that a human might, you know, that, that to, to actually augment a human worker in, yeah. in, in an environment like that. There's also just uh, construction equipment, you know, so uh, OEM manufacturers of construction equipment, uh, companies that are building front end loaders and diggers, and all yeah. of that equipment is actually quite dangerous to operate. Um, cranes and and there is another avenue for just improving work workplace safety and and also improving efficiency um, and, and then finally in, in construction is also surveying so there's this big push to have um, <clears throat> rapidly updated 3d and what I think they call 4d models so yeah. 3d models that change through time because you can resurvey a construction site um, day after day after day and compare it to the blueprints to make sure that the, everything is being built to spec. 
and that's that's an industry that's being powered by lidar as well um sure. uh, this kind of economy lidar mounted on drones in this case so yeah. a lot of really interesting applications i mean lidar is blanking the work the the construction site in the same way that it's it's blanketing <laughs> the manufacturing site I truly do mean ubiquitous when I say that. Yeah, for sure. As I said, I started off mainly focused on autonomous driving and how LIDAR will work there. But it really is, as you said, it's ubiquitous. It will be everywhere and it's getting that way. I see more and more use cases every time I do kind of one of these episodes of the podcast. And I think one of the interesting things I'm seeing on the earnings call for Alstair was that you've envisioned that these other domains like smart cities, like industrial automation, will kind of be the main markets for LIDAR almost. It's not that that they'll be the main markets, um, but that they are markets that rival, you know, each one of these markets will be a multi-billion dollar uh, market for LIDAR in in and of itself. And so um, I think that the point I've made is just that automotive is an incredibly exciting application for LIDAR, but when you step out and look at the total opportunity and market for LIDAR, automotive is a minority of the total opportunity. Um, It's a very important application because the volumes are huge. So the potential impact from getting LIDAR technology into millions of vehicles is massive. Mm. Um, And so that's very important and it's a key focus for Ouster. But the, 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 the market is much broader than just automotive. And you only have to look as far as cameras to see and the camera industry to see that that's that's true is the sensor market or the, the market for camera technology is far larger outside of automotive than within automotive sure. um, and and so it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that companies should be positioning to play across markets if they can if they have a flexible and flex, flexible enough technology to play across markets it makes you know our goal is to create as as much of an impact as possible um, and improving safety and, and quality of life and efficiency. And we're going to do that in auto and we're going to do that out of auto. And it turns out that long-term, the opportunity outside of auto is absolutely larger. Um, but uh, there's no reason to overlook any industry um, sure, yeah. when you have products that can be deployed across all of them. Definitely. And as, as you said, there's still markets growing now. Last mile delivery in terms of autonomous last mile deliveries. I think I've seen stats that that will be the I think it was a hundred billion dollar market by I think it was 2028. So yeah, it's kind of there's so many use cases and so many different areas and avenues to grow into. I mean, I think I've seen something. I think it may have been from Alster that 20% of all products during the product lifecycle and reaching the customer by 2025 and beyond they'll never actually touch another person's hand. It will all be automated using different sensor technology, which obviously LIDAR will play a huge part in. Yeah, that's right. And and you, know, you mentioned last mile delivery, um, which is a great example of an application in and of itself, a technology in and of itself that is world changing yeah. and a huge, I mean, you said a hundred billion dollar opportunity. And you know, we have a, a, a number of customers in the last mile delivery business. LIDAR is an absolutely essential component to these last mile delivery robots. Serve Robotics is a great example of this using one of our uh, OS sensors on their their robot. And they have deployments. You know, it sounds like this far off future um, (laughs) that's not going to happen. (laughs) <laughs> or something. I don't know. I think people, it's, it's difficult to, to understand how close 
an application like that is because it's yeah. a more constrained um, technical challenge than a fully autonomous car. Um, Serve already has robotic deployments in LA and San Francisco that, that are quite large. And mm-hmm. it's and they're proving out this business model today, not sometime in the future. And it's really cool to see it. You know, every once in a while, we'll get a, a, a tweet of someone <laughs> that's been delivered a package by a Serve robot with an Auster sensor on top. Yeah. And um, so very cool application feels like it's just absolute sci-fi but it's it's absolutely happening and it's it's a huge revolution in look kind of logistics and supply chain definitely yeah i agree i was telling a family member a couple of weeks ago that similar to serve there's a there's a robotic delivery service here in the uk and just started trials i believe and um everyone was like no that's that's not happening that's not true but it is as you've said this is something that is on the streets now in certain areas kind of being trialed and being tested so yeah it's very interesting so i think we've covered a lot angus just kind of as a last question more so than anything um there's been a lot of consolidation in the market over recent years um and I look towards the autonomous kind of ride hailing vehicle market a lot. And I've seen a lot of consolidation there. One of the key players in that market, uh, Kyle Vogt from Cruise, he was quite vocal on Twitter earlier on this year. I'm unsure if you've seen that, but he felt that there's going to be a lot of consolidation in the LiDAR market over the coming years because there's been companies like Alster going public via, via SPAC. So, as well as others, of course. So what, what do you see happening to LiDAR companies in the market over the next couple of years? Do you agree there'll be a consolidation or is there enough use cases for everyone? Um, I, yeah, I think it's inevitable that there's consolidation. Most markets that are building advanced technology like this end up with three to five key players. Of course, yeah. And I think that that's where we'll end up in five or so years. Um, you know, I think it's, it's definitely... Um, yeah, I think that there's definitely a separation because the number of companies like Astro have gone public, pulled on significant funding and have you know, just have the cash to, to go out and, and commercialize their technology much more broadly. Yeah. Um, so there's a separation given that. And then, so yeah, there's, there's going to be some consolidation. I think there's already been some, um, but I don't think that's controversial or even particularly insightful. There can't be 20. There aren't many industries where there's 20 different companies uh, that vie for for the single market. Uh, you know, there's always consolidation. Definitely. Well, I think I've said this to some other guests. I've asked this question to most guests, actually. And I think what I might do is kind of in a year, a year or two, might revisit the podcast again and kind of see how how kind of the the predictions that we've made surrounding cost and performance improvements as well as consolidation will happen so that'll be something that i think i'd be keen to revisit to see how companies like like yourselves and like others have have fared over over the coming years really that'd be fantastic and we'll we'll you can see how many uh chip uh, chips we've taped out in that time (laughs) as well definitely for sure and look angus i asked this to all guests as well um if listeners are kind of interested in what you've said and they have any questions what's the best thing to do i know you're active on linkedin is it to kind of reach out to you via there or well i i think if if um if there are investors that are interested in learning more about ouster you can reach out to uh, our cfo or me i spend a lot of time with the investment community educating them about about ouster's uh, business strategy and, and products and market traction um if you are just a listener that is interested in lidar i at, Ouster has spent a lot of time 
uh, on our blog and yep. we have a, an immense wealth of information that is high quality and content rich. And, and I've personally written several of the blog posts and, uh, you know, I encourage everyone to go to Alistair's website and we, we, we write about LiDAR technology in general sometimes. Um, so I think it's quite an informative um, source of information and uh, people should go there. Thank you for letting us know about that. And I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure there'll be some listeners that will check that out. Again, Angus, it's been a pleasure. I think we've covered a lot uh, regarding automotive and other use cases. So yeah, I hope the listeners enjoy it as much as I have. All right. Thanks so much. This was great.